I think it's important to note that it is the second show. You know, before I started Creative Elements, I had done almost two years worth of Upside, and that's more than 100 episodes published of another show before I started Creative Elements. So, Welcome to Creator's Edge, a podcast for creators where I interview incredible creatives, share their stories, discover their superpower, and the important lessons that help them rise to the top. I want to take you on a journey to meet some of the brightest minds and the creators who impact our lives and the work that we do. This is a podcast for creators. Welcome to your Creator's Edge. This is episode one with Jay Klaus. Jay Klaus is incredible. In less than one year, he started and grew his second podcast, Creative Elements, to critical success, achieving over half a million downloads and over 200 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. And Jay interviewed some of the most incredible people in the world, including Seth Godin, James Clear, Pat Flynn, Miles Beckler, Brian Clark, and Amy Landino. And he did all this in just one year. He is the founder of Freelancing School, a community of freelancers where Jay has taught tens of thousands of freelancers how to build a successful freelancing business and to be their own boss. He founded Unreal Collective where he worked and helped grow hundreds of successful entrepreneurs who went on to build multi-million dollar businesses. Jay serves as the Director of Community Experience at Smart Passive Income, an amazing community of entrepreneurs led by the legendary, best-selling author and podcaster, Pat Flynn. Jay hosts two podcasts, Creative Elements and The Upside, and in 2019, Jay produced a full-length documentary called Tesla City USA, where he documents the startup scene in Columbus, Ohio a place where Jay calls home. I am honored to welcome Jay to share his incredible journey, his road to success. He is my mentor, coach, and inspiration to me and so many others. Let's begin. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jay. I really appreciate your time and all you do, and I'm really excited. It's great to be here, Boris. I appreciate your kind words and your support over the last several months too. So yeah, it's, it's really my pleasure. So how did you become an entrepreneur, freelancer, and what got you into startups? Well, I got into entrepreneurship because I thought that startups were sexy. <laughs> I, I kind of found the world of startups when I was in college, and it was a huge eye-opening experience because it just didn't enter my world when I was growing up. I didn't know that you could be an entrepreneur, start a business, make your own path. I kind of thought the path was go to college get a degree, get a job, work that job for 30 to 35 years and retire. And in college, I joined an entrepreneurship organization like the, the student org focused on entrepreneurship. And I was just blown away that there are people my age that were starting their own businesses, building apps on the app store, making money online. And I was just like, I didn't know that you could even do that. So through college and then immediately after college, I got into startups, co-founded a ticketing company called Tixers right out of college. And we went like the traditional path. We went through an accelerator, we raised some money, sold that company in 2015. 
and worked for the company that bought us for a year. It was a really, really intense, difficult year with a company that bought us. And even leading up to that, like running that company was so, so hard because it was an events and ticketing company and events happen nights and weekends. So I never really could clock out of work. It was just all the time. So then I took a job at a healthcare startup that was super venture backed. They're worth more than a billion dollars today, but I hated having a boss. Like I just wasn't, wasn't into it. And maybe it was that boss, but I just, I just wasn't into it. So I left to go out on my own. Didn't really know what that would look like and started to understand more the opportunities of how to earn a living online through kind of a portfolio of projects, whether it's freelancing, affiliate marketing, uh, creating courses, podcasting, I just started kind of cobbling all these different sources of income together to make a living. And over the last couple of years, each of those has grown a little bit. And so now I'm just like really, really diversified and have a lot of different efforts that are kind of working as a creator. And it's giving me a lot of flexibility to, to start to try new things. So of all the things that you've created, what would you say is the most exciting and fun thing for you to work on? I love course sales. It's really hard to make a course that's really good and is worth buying and people will tell each other about. But when you do, it, it just feels like magic because you put in a ton of work to make the course and it sucks when you're making it. It's fun, but like it's also like a huge effort. And then when it's done, you can wake up in the morning and, and see like, oh, I had a, a sale overnight or I had a couple of sales overnight. It's just like magic because there's nothing else you need to do from that point. And your effort is being rewarded constantly and randomly, which is really, really awesome. And Jay shares his experience of starting the best thing he ever made, his first ever podcasting course. He talked about the challenges he faced and how it almost didn't happen. That experience has been awesome. I think that podcast like The Pros is maybe the best thing I've ever made or one of the best things that I've ever made. It was challenging because I've never made a course that was so screen share and edit heavy, but I wanted to make something that was really, really good. And one of the other reasons that I love this experience was I didn't necessarily know I was going to make this course. I had just gotten a bunch of notes from people who had listened to Creative Elements and they're like, this sounds really good. How do you do this? Or how did you make this happen? And I, I just thought to myself, it sounds like there might be some demand here for people in my audience wanting to learn how to podcast specifically from me. There are a lot of great podcast uh, courses out there. You know, I, I work with the SPI team now and Pat Flynn's podcast course has been huge for years. But it sounded like my audience wanted to learn some things from me. And so I sent them an email that was just like, hey, I put up um, a sales page on Teachable this morning for a podcasting course where I'm going to teach you these things. You can see the whole course curriculum here. I'm only going to make it if people actually want it. So if if 10 of you purchase this on pre-sale, I'll go ahead and make the course. And it was only 24 or 48 hours until I had 10 pre-sales. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm committed to making it now. And by the time it actually launched, I think I had close to 40 people that were enrolled into it. And now we have more than 60. So it's just, it's been amazing because I completely de-risked the effort. Like I knew that people wanted it. So I invested the time into making it and people were purchasing it all along the way, which was just like really, really encouraging and awesome. It, it means a lot when anybody following your work says, I believe in you so much. And I, I think that you're going to make something so great that I'm willing to invest in that before you even make anything. That is so incredible. And like so much trust is built in that. And I, I took that really, really seriously, but none of us can make a living doing this without people like you who are just supportive. And I'm sure there's a big part of you that's like, I want to learn how to podcast, but I'm sure there's also a small part of you that was like, I like Jay and I want to support Jay. 
Jay talked about the important lessons that he took away from starting Creative Elements. He shared some valuable lessons. He talked about the importance of having a great guest experience and being a great host. I think it's important to note that it is the second show. You know, before I started Creative Elements, I had done almost two years worth of Upside, and that's more than 100 episodes published of another show before I started Creative Elements. So the things that I learned were a lot around like sound quality, a lot about the guest experience. Honestly, I don't think people think enough about the term podcast host. If you're a podcast host, you are hosting the guest and the listeners to some degree. But when you're interviewing the guest, you need to play the role of host. You need to make it a place that people are excited to be in and, and have a part of. It needs to be comfortable. They need to think to themselves, I'm glad I did that. And I think, I think a lot about that when I bring guests onto the show. Jay talked about the importance of editing, the relationship with his audio engineer, and the importance to create something truly unique and special. He looks back at his episode with James Clear and the goal to learn about James as a creator and capture the lessons that we can model to achieve success. Can you create something that is so good that they, the reader, or the consumer, the user of your product could actually have a before and after moment with it, right? Like before and after I read this book or before and after I read this blog post, before and after I read this tweet even, uh, before and after I use this product, my life, I can actually delineate and say it's different now because that experience was so good. Welcome to Creative Elements, a show where we talk to your favorite creators and learn what it takes to make a living from your art and creativity. I'm your host, Jay Klaus. Let's start the show. So sound quality, how to be a good host, how to book guests. And then I also thought a lot about the edit. We have a fantastic audio engineer for Upside, who is now the audio engineer for Creative Elements also. And he's always done a really good job of helping us edit down ums, ahs, filler words. But he also takes a little bit of creative control and will delete things that he thinks just aren't additive to the episode. Not a ton of stuff, but you know, if a, if a sentence ends... And then they, the, the guest says a few more words that just doesn't mean much. He might cut out those few words and we trust him to do that. But with this show, I wanted to go above and beyond even further. And it was really because I was pushed by Jeff Umbro and the Podglomerate. Uh, Creative Elements is on the Podglomerate network, which has been fantastic because they have other shows on the network. They've seen what works, what doesn't. They have relationships in the industry. And Jeff pushed me to make sure the show wasn't just another interview show. He wanted it to be a little bit unique. And I think it was unique in the concept because the guests that I have on the show do a lot of interviews. They're pretty seasoned at being interviewed because they're creators and they've done remarkable work. Take episode two with James Clear. Everyone knows him as the habits guy. And he wrote an incredible book. When he goes on podcasts, they talk to him about habits. They talk to him about the things that he knows about habits and how people can learn to have better habits. I wanted to talk to James about how to be a creator. Like that's the through line to all of these. I want to understand how these creators got to a point where they're making a full-time living doing this and what we can learn as aspiring creators to model some of that, the stuff that's still relevant today. So having a unique format that's differentiated from the marketplace, being really thoughtful in the edit to get rid of anything that's just not additive to the listener. And uh, I also use a lot of voiceover in the show that I think adds a little bit of a level of polish. While many of our behaviors boil down to habits, when we fall into a routine, we build habits and they stick. That's true for habits we want to build, and unfortunately, it's true for the habits we don't want to build either. Today, I'm talking with a friend of mine and New York Times bestselling author, James Clear. 
your Times bestselling author James Clear says you can fight the morning blues with an effective morning and a.m. routine. The keys to a productive life can be found in science. That's according to author James Clear, who says breaking down tasks into small achievable goals leads to higher productivity. New York Times bestselling author James Clear wrote the book Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. James is a personal development keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author of Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. You just heard a few of his appearances on CBS This Morning, where he is a regular contributor. Atomic Habits sold over 1 million copies worldwide in 12 months, enjoying 12 straight months on the New York Times bestseller list, 33 weeks on the Wall Street Journal bestselling list, and it topped Amazon's most sold list for 31 weeks. There are a ton of interviews with James all over the internet and the podcasting world talking about building habits and the book itself. But now, more than a year after its release, I wanted to focus this conversation on what James has learned transitioning from a popular newsletter to now a best-selling book. So in this episode, we talk about those lessons learned, the trade-offs to taking on such a big project, creating good habits around your work, and why revision has been such a key element in his success. I think my superpower is... I am afraid of missing deadlines, so I don't miss deadlines, but I'm also afraid of creating something that isn't a pretty high level of quality that people will look at this and be like, what is this? <laughs> so if you can, if you can not only hit deadlines, but also deliver on deadlines with a piece of work that you're proud of, I think that's a superpower, but this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I want to raise the bar even higher on the quality of something that I'm willing to put out. I'm not embarrassed by anything that I put out these days, but it's also not necessarily as remarkable as I'd want it to be. I want, I want my work to be a little bit more standout, a little bit more considered than it is today. Nothing against what I'm writing now. It's just because I'm on such a consistent schedule and cadence of publishing multiple forms of content on a weekly basis I don't really give myself the time and space to invest as much time and energy into things as I think I, I want to in this next season of my, of my life and my business. So that's what I've been thinking about lately. But that probably means that deadlines will have to change a little bit for me. You're doing a lot of things between SPI Pro and freelancing school, your podcast and newsletter. How do you find the work-life balance? Well, if I'm honest, I don't think I've had the most normal of lives for the last few years. It was a little bit easier this year because we were forced into lockdown and quarantines and there was no, there wasn't much temptation to go out and do things because it was irresponsible to do so in the United States. So this year I had more time to work than ever before. But unfortunately, the years leading up to that, I think I was also working more than I should have. And it cut into social time, it cut into time with my, my fiance and that's an unfortunate sacrifice that at the time I made and whether I was doing it willingly or kind of subconsciously, it happened. But it all comes down to if you're managing a bunch of projects, it comes down to prioritization and sequencing. And I talk a lot about prioritization. A lot of people talk about a lot, a lot about prioritization because you can only do one thing at one time. So you got to pick what's most important at that time in order for you to hit the deadline. But not enough people talk about sequencing. Because if you're managing a portfolio of things, not only do you need to prioritize them, but you need to prioritize the component parts of each of them and put those in a sequence so that you can hit all these deadlines across different projects. 
it's not as easy as saying, well, I'm going to work on freelancing school for the next two days. Like you have discrete actionable things that you need to do for freelancing school. And you might have discrete actionable things you do for creative elements too. If that's releasing every week, they may say, okay, well, I'm going to start working on this article for freelancing school, but also I need to get the voiceover recorded for creative elements that I can go into editing. And while that's in editing, I'll finish writing the article. Like sequencing is a very, very important part of prioritization that I don't think enough people talk about. You're listening to Creator's Edge. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on Apple. It only takes a minute and it's the absolute best way to support the show. It would mean the world and we appreciate your time. I think this is a little bit of a superpower for me too. And I have a hard time relating this to people who don't have the same innate understanding. When I was running the startup company and and then at the startup that I worked at too, I was basically a product manager and you get really, really good at understanding all the component parts to the project you're working on because you're working cross-functionally across a team to get that product to market or to get the next release out, yada, yada, yada. So I've kind of built a sense for these things. If you're not as familiar with this, like just break things down into very bite-sized actionable chunks. Like think about all the things that you are prioritizing and say, what is the actual bite-sized item or task that I need to do within this project next? And you can break those into Trello cards. I love Trello. Trello is really great for task management, but break down all the things that you're trying to get done into discrete tasks You can put them into Trello as task management. I also use Airtable as process management. So like something that has a repeatable process like podcasting. You have scouting guests, you have reaching out to guests, you have scheduling guests, you have interviewing guests, then you have scripting, then you have editing, then you have release. You know, that's like nine steps in the process of podcasting that's true for every single episode. So I use Airtable to manage that process where all those steps become one column called status in the Airtable database. And then I can use a view, a Kanban view of that status to move each episode through the process. And that's kind of repeatable in that way. But things that are non-repeatable that are just tasks that I need to cross off kind of like a to-do list, I typically put that into Trello. Earlier this year, you made some pretty big career changes. You sold your company, Unreal Collective, and you joined the leadership team at Smart Passive Income as the director of community experience. Tell us about that experience and how that opportunity happened. Well, first off, it's kind of scary. You know, the opportunity took place because I had been working with the SPI team, the Smart Passive Income team, to launch SPI Pro for the last eight or nine months. I started working with them in April. We launched the community and opened it up for new members in July. And I've been helping the team in kind of a consultative capacity since then. And... I got that role or that opportunity because Matt Gartland, the co-CEO of SPI, he had seen some of the community work I'd done with my business, Unreal Collective. And as I was helping SPI, I kind of had one foot in the SPI world, one foot in my world with Unreal. And we realized that it's the same audience. I could consolidate my efforts and make one really great community as opposed to trying to prioritize two communities. And uh, it just made a lot of sense for us to join forces. So SPI um, put a deal in front of me to acquire Unreal Collective and kind of merge the two communities. And I thought that was a really great next step. But it's scary because, you know, I just mentioned that at the startup company that I left, I didn't like having a boss. So here I am taking a, a W-2 position. What does that mean for me? 
But at the end of the day, I've been working with SPI for eight or nine months. The team is incredible. So, so talented, so capable and just phenomenal and fun to work with. I'd forgotten what it was like to work within a team that I really, really enjoyed working with and that I could really count on and and who could do really great work together. And frankly, I think leadership is a skill that I've had for a long time that I just haven't really been tapping into for the last three or four years, because as a solopreneur, you're not really leading anybody. I can outsource things, but um, I I have missed a little bit of being a leader and having a team. I think it's a skill set that, like I said, I truly have, and I could flex. I just haven't really had the opportunity to. So this made a lot of sense to me um, to help build an incredible community over at SPI pro. And the team was also really encouraging of me to continue my own creative work with creative elements and freelancing school. So it's kind of a best of both worlds situation where a lot of the underlying infrastructure and, and, um, you know, groundwork has been laid on my creative work. Now it's just kind of consistently producing content for it. And I can do that in a limited capacity while putting most of my focus into SPI pro and continue to grow my own creative business. In creative elements, you achieved some pretty incredible things in the last year. The one thing that really sticks out to me was your first interview with Seth Godin. How does one pull off Seth Godin as his first guest? Cancel your Netflix subscription. Turn off Facebook. Figure out how to make yourself so bored for four hours a day that you will find it within yourself to do art for free. because. Otherwise, you'll do what almost everyone has done, which is get a job and then be so tired from your job that you don't make art. And then you've got neither one. (laughs) That's a little bit of sleight of hand on my part because that was the first episode I published, but it certainly wasn't my first guess. I I recorded probably three or four interviews for Creative Elements before I, I recorded with Seth. And the strategy there was... I I had a sense that when people are thinking about subscribing to a show, they probably listen to episode one a lot. And I wanted episode one to be something that was really, I was really proud of and could stand the test of time on upside. Episode one is kind of embarrassing. It's not bad by any means, but by the quality standards that we have now, it's just way, way different. And so I wanted that to be this living relic to show potential listeners like, Oh, this is something to be taken seriously because you often really only get one shot with a new listener. They, they, they tune in and they see, is this something that I like? Is it something that I should take seriously? Is it something that they're taking seriously? And if you don't have that, then, then they'll bounce and never come back. So I wanted to go out with a bang and show people that I was taking it seriously, but it's not easy to get Seth to come on your show. So luckily for me, I had a couple things going for me. I had purchased a lot of Seth's courses and, and programs and things, and I had been in touch via email a couple of times over a period of years. And I don't think that if you ask Seth Godin, do you know who Jay Klaus is? I don't think he would say yes. But when you are able to follow up on an email thread, he's already responded to, he has a signal of, oh, I've already talked to this person. You know, I've already started a relationship here. And so I waited until I had a couple interviews done. I followed up on an existing email thread that was about podcasting and said, hey, I really appreciated the podcasting fellowship. I was in your first cohort. I put my first show through it. I'm starting a new show and I think you'd be a really great guest for it. Would you be interested in coming on the show? I've already talked to this person, this person, one of them was James Clear. And so I'm sending these signals of social proof of I'm taking it seriously. I'm interviewing people like you. 
and I gave him a huge window to schedule. I was like, if you have time in the next few months, could we get something on the calendar? And we did book it out like two months away. So I interviewed several of the people before I talked to Seth. But even when I talked to Seth, it was like November of 2019. I didn't release the first episode of Creative Elements, his episode, until late March of 2020. So I, I put in a lot of time of interviewing and, and getting the show in a format that sounded good and made sense so that I could kind of go out of the gates with a bang and, and start releasing high quality episodes on a consistent basis. Jay shares his secret recipe to booking incredible guests. He talks about the why. He talks about setting goals behind each show, narrative arc, and the importance of booking good guests and bringing your best foot forward. Here's Jay. Let's start with the easier question about uh, attracting good guests. People are more accessible than you think still to this day. And a podcast is a pretty low ask. Like you don't have to prepare much. You jump on. If you have good sound equipment, you can just kind of talk into the mic, answer questions. And, and you have a piece of content that you can share. And theoretically, the host of the other show has an audience that they're sharing with them too. So it's kind of like a gift to people if you have an audience and if you do a good job as a host. But they, they may look at your existing podcast feed to get a signal of, is this a show that I should take seriously? Is this a show that other people like me take seriously? And that's why it's important to go out of the gates with good guests and to get reviews on your show and to take the show seriously. Because if they look at that and they think, ah, this looks like an amateur, they're not going to show up. So about creating good content, besides being like very willing to edit things, and I mean edit in the sense of cut things out. Like if you have redundant pieces of audio, if you have ums, ahs, filler words, if you have just like sections of audio that don't add to the listener's experience, cut it out. It's better to have a shorter show where everything was great than have a 60-minute show where 40 minutes of it were worth listening to. It makes the whole experience kind of bad if you're listening through and you're like, ugh, this is so, this feel, it just feels longer. So you want the show to feel short. And you can do that by cutting out things that don't add to the conversation. You can do that by adding things like voiceover. But I, I like to start by thinking about the overall narrative arc of the show and what's the story I'm trying to tell. Any guests that I'm bringing on the show, I'm bringing on for a reason. So I should tell the listener in the intro of that episode why I'm having this guest on the show and why they should care. Obviously, if I'm deciding that they should be on the show, I think that guest should care. But too many shows go straight into the host asking the guest, like, hey, introduce yourself. Tell us about yourself. And the host is going to be humble. They're not going to be like, well, I'm a Nobel Prize winner and I've had three best-selling books. Like that just sounds like you're a jerk. So they're going to be really humble and downplay who they are. And the listener is not going to know why they should care about this person. So your job as the host is to make it clear in the intro, hey, I did the hard work of getting someone on this show that you're going to want to hear from. Here's why you're going to want to hear from them. Get people excited in that intro and frame what we're talking about, why, why we're talking, why we should care on creative elements. I talk to different styles of creators. So if I'm talking to a YouTuber, I'll frame it up as, Hey, I'm talking to this guy. He's an incredible YouTuber. Here's how many subscribers he's had. Here's why his story is unique. All right, now let's get into the interview. And then I go straight into talking about whatever I want the takeaway for the audience to be like, you should know what will somebody take away from this episode? I have a goal for every episode of that's that's specific to that episode. Like, what is the goal of this show? Uh, yesterday, I interviewed a woman who her Instagram blew up this year. And she's a she makes ceramic mugs, very niche. I don't have a lot of guests on the show who make physical products. So to me, I was like, this is an opportunity 
to speak to listeners who make physical products and an opportunity for people who focus on Instagram about how she grew her Instagram a little bit. That was the goal of the show. That informs the questions that I ask. And once I have a goal, once I'm asking the right questions, then in post-production, I can be critical of, well, how did this flow? Do I want to move some areas of the conversation around? I don't want to go from topic A to topic B, back to topic A to topic C, back to topic B. I want to go topic A, topic B, topic C, and kind of flow through that way. And that happens in the edit. So how much time do you actually spend producing and putting together each episode? Yeah, I mean, I think every episode I invest, like you said, 8 to 15 hours into each episode, maybe even more. But that's not all on a weekly basis for that episode. Does make sense? Like this goes back to my sequencing point. Yeah, it may take 15 hours of work to get an episode from scouting a guest to completely published and shared on social media. But that process happens over a period of weeks. Like you scout the guest, then you reach out to the guest, then you schedule the guest. Then you have research one week and the interview one week. It might be two weeks later until I start editing that episode. Um, so like it's it's all about sequencing and, and breaking up the processing of an episode across a period of time. You don't you don't go from scouting to editing the same conversation in a week where you're gonna burn out. It's just not sustainable. And you're gonna run into a week where a guest drops and you're not gonna have an episode release that week and you're gonna feel really bad about yourself and you're gonna stop doing it. I really try to get ahead on recording of interviews so that I am only focused week to week on editing an episode. Um, and then that time commitment's a lot smaller. I know that the actual editing portion of a show is about five hours. So if I have five hours of editing a show every week and maybe an hour or two of promoting that show outside of like the regular RSS feed, that's pretty doable. That's a lot smaller. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on Apple. It makes a huge difference and it is the best way to support the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and we thank you for your support. What were some important lessons and takeaways that you learned from 2020? How did the events of last year affect you, your content, and your business? I think 2020 taught me the importance of reading the room. Like it's you, your content, while you don't need to focus your content on current events and just be talking about what is happening in the zeitgeist right now, you need to be aware of current events and be aware of the zeitgeist so that you're not publishing things inappropriately and what, uh, taking up space when the dialogue should be dedicated to more important topics. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement this summer, I stopped publishing during that time because that's not the time for my voice. It's time for my voice to elevate other voices and to say like, hey, this is my privilege to, to be able to have this platform. Why don't I raise up other people who don't have the platform who are doing great work? I, I learned a lot about how undiverse a lot of my own personal networks are. And yeah, it was a lot of reckoning with my own identity and my own privilege and, and how I can be a better friend and, and ally. And being a content creator this year, you, you didn't want to go out there and, and talk about getting rich quick or, you know, here's, here's my program, come by this. Like I focused most of my effort this year into creating free things, like creating the podcast, creating articles. People were hurting. It was hard. And I didn't want to go out there asking for people to buy my stuff and, and bragging about like, hey, I'm having a great year in business. Like that's, that's just inappropriate during that time, which does change the strategy a little bit. 
and it changes how you earn your own livelihood. But ultimately, people still needed help. People still needed things. So even if I wasn't being as overt in my sales and marketing this year, it was okay. And it it was important to read the rooms that people appreciated you and knew you were a human person and not just a guy on the internet trying to make money. Jay shares his favorite episode of Creative Elements. He talks about his favorite guest. He talks about his aspirations and the motivation behind focusing on the quality and slowing down the pace. He talks about letting the schedule drive the work and the impact that he hopes to make. I think about my interview with James Clear the most, just because that guy is such a clear thinker and he does such an incredible job of distilling down ideas into like their purest, most concise form of wisdom and truth. You could just feel it in the way that he spoke in the interview. And also, you know, he's living a life that aspirationally, I want to live a similar life. You know, I, I see myself as writing books someday. And, and that's like the form of content creation that I'm doing. So to see somebody in his position years ahead of me doing that, living that, setting that example, and then get advice from him about where I am in my business now, to get to that point, it was just, it was really special. And I think that it applies to anybody doing creative work. Like it is the thing that is forcing me to focus more intentionally on setting a higher quality bar and maybe slowing down my pace. And it's not to say like if you're a creator and you're just getting started that you should focus 100% on quality right now and publish intermittently. I think it's actually really important to go through a phase of publishing a lot. And, and as James says in that interview, letting the schedule drive the work. But eventually when you get to a point where it's like, I know what I want to talk about. I know my voice. I know my audience. I have a little bit of an audience. Then you have more flexibility, I think, to slow down, publish things that are more impactful and that will actually, I think, benefit me more in the long run. Jay talks about his mentors who inspired him the most in his journey, the challenges of starting out as a creator today, and the importance of compounding and considering new strategies. Most of my mentors I've barely met, if at all. You know, like I consider Seth Godin a mentor, but I've mostly learned through him, through his, his courses, his content. James, I'm lucky to, to consider a friend because he lives in the same city that I do. And we've met several times. I love following Ryan Holiday's work. I love following Bo Burnham's work. I haven't met either of them, but that's been really inspiring to me. I, I am a sponge. I learn from so many people and they have no idea, uh, but it's, it's all really impactful. You know, the challenge that creators come across and that I think I'm shedding some light on through creative elements, a lot of the creators we look up to came up during the same time. And they've been doing it for a long time, but they also got started around the same time, at least creating online. And there was far less competition in 2008 through 2012 when a lot of these creators were getting started. It's a lot easier to build an audience because there weren't a ton of people who understood how to put an opt-in on their webpage and how to start building an email list. And everything compounds. So if you got a, a head start in 2008 through 2012 and you, you got a head start on building your audience that's been compounding now for eight years. That's hard to just tell someone to go out and do in 2020. People are a lot more discerning and a lot more slow to trade their email for anything. And it's just harder to get started. Now, once you do get started, and once you do start building an audience, it does compound and you'll have the same benefit. It's just so much harder to get started now. Not to say that it's the opportunity is gone. I'm sure it'll be even harder in 10 years. 
So it's better now than any other time in the future. But I think we look at a lot of these models who got started at a time that is much different. And we need to consider our own strategy and and look for some more timely and relevant models today. Finally, Jay talks about his goals and focus for 2021. He shares his vision for the future of smart passive income, freelancing school, and the importance of embracing sales and marketing to achieve financial success in the year ahead. Priority number one is creating an exceptional community experience over at SPI Pro. I, I think we have an opportunity to really be a leading voice in the world of community and entrepreneurial loneliness. This is something I credit uh, Matt Gartland for talking a lot about and, and making part of our, our company culture. This is a lonely time. It's lonely to be a creator. Despite having an audience, Like you often feel like you have few friends because you sacrifice your social life to, to, to do the work. And your audience, you can't have the same relationship to them that you do a friend. You can have a really close and, and personal relationship, but it's just not the same. So entrepreneurial and career loneliness is, is very, very real. And I think that we're attacking that with SPI Pro. For me personally, I want to continue to put out fantastic podcast episodes through Creative Elements. That's probably where I'll put most of my, my own creator energy into. But I want to continue to uh, invest into freelancing school as well. I think it's a really incredible time to start freelancing. And I'm really, really proud of those courses. They focus on sales and marketing and business more than they do like, here's how to be a great graphic designer or copywriter. I want people to embrace being a business owner and find some financial success. And that comes from being willing to do sales and marketing. And you can do that in a way that's not at all pushy. It's very relational and very natural, but you have to be willing to, to embrace it. And I think we can do some incredible work through freelancing school in that way. I'll probably hire some writers this year to help with that content. But yeah, that's, that's, that's my focus. Thank you for joining me, Jay. Thank you for sharing your amazing story, wisdom, and knowledge. And thanks for all you do at SPI, Creative Elements, and Freelancing School. Thanks, Boris. Thanks for having me on. Um, always a good opportunity to, to chat with you and, and other creators. And lastly, where can we learn more about you and your work? You can find me at jklaus.com. That'll link off to everything else. But I'm also pretty active on Twitter at jklaus. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on Apple. It really makes a huge difference and it helps us to create more content just like this. You can find Creator's Edge wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. Learn more about J. Klaus by visiting www.jklaus.com. You can find Jay's podcast at jklaus.com slash podcast. You can find the Smart Passive Income at smartpassiveincome.com. You can check out the freelancing school at freelancing.school. And you can find Jay Klaus on Twitter at Jay Klaus.